0: Welcome to Through the Lens of Recovery, the podcast that digs into the issues, stories and triumphs that surround addiction. I'm Annie Murray, founder of Horizon, a not-for-profit filmmaking programme that teaches those in recovery from addiction how to create compelling stories through the medium of film.
1: And I'm Sophie Terton, co-founder of The Joyful, a brand and marketing agency for ethical businesses, in this episode, we interviewed the delightful Dr. Sophie Cook. Sophie has had a fascinating life from being an RAF veteran, former addict, and suicide survivor to realizing her identity as a trans woman, becoming an author, mental health advocate, and honorary doctor of letters from Portsmouth University.
0: We discussed topics some listeners may find disturbing. Topics include drug addiction, mental health, suicide ideation, and gender transition. Sophie is extremely candid, open and warm. She is a true delight to talk to and comes at the topic of addiction and recovery from a range of different perspectives. We hope you enjoy our interview with Sophie.
1: So welcome, Sophie, to the studio. It is absolutely fantastic to have you here. So we're going to just dive straight on in with the million dollar question. Tell us your life. In just five minutes.
2: Five minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> tiny, ah, tiny, that, tiny that, g- That's
2: That's like a minute per 11 years. Wow. That's, that's, that's not good maths. Uh, that's I'm, <laughs> I'm really old. I did maths where, when they taught it properly at schools. Um, here. So, um, yes, my, my life in five minutes. Um, it was a seaside town. <laughs> not much was happening. And then. In 1967, Sophie Cook, although she wasn't called Sophie Cook then, was born. They thought she was a boy. <laughs> they raised her as a boy. She probably was a bit of a boy at the time. But at the age of seven, she realised that maybe she wasn't so much of a boy and was in fact transgender, although it was 1974. So we didn't really have transgender back then. We just had people that were really mixed up, like me. At the age of 16, he joined the Royal Air Force and at the age of 18 saved a colleague's life following explosion which led to post traumatic stress wow. they then spent their entire life fightli- fight fightling fighting <laughs> <laughs> fighting their mental health at the age of something i don't know <laughs> anyway eventually they realized that they had to transition and become the woman that they always knew they were um yeah um and yeah so that's me and that's the trailer version with the trailer voice uh, <laughs> Love it. not the trailer park voice that, that, <laughs> that's that, different. That, 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 different that's film. That, that's that's more like and and then our uh, our uh, I uh, got I don't even a know what that voice is though. I, I <laughs> that was that was a trailer park oh. in the west country um <laughs> yeah all right all right ride right. um that was um yeah so i um yeah and then I transitioned back in 2015 um, wrote a book about my mental health called Not Today How I Chose Life. Um, also had to deal with it with an addiction or a number of addictions over my lifetime. Um, more or less starting when I when I had uh, post traumatic stress when I was in the armed forces and then sort of coming to terms with that and um yeah, since since I transitioned, I was the first trans person to work in the Premier League. I've also nearly became the first trans MP. Hmm. I um, I'm a doctor now. Wow, um, I
1: read that. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: Bournemouth <laughs> University gave Amazing. gave me an honorary Doctor of Letters. It's like, wow. which means I'm really good at the alphabet. <laughs> <Boom>. <laughs> um, and um, I do acting now. I'm currently pre- uh, developing a stage show with a. a Producer, and I'm starting doing stand up as well. So,
1: amazing. So, yeah, and,
2: and all of it, I mean, because I did a TED talk a couple of years ago, and the way I described my stand up and that is, it's the stories that were too rude for a TED talk.
1: Mm, <laughs> so, basically, it. it's
2: like my TED talk, but there's more stuff in there about dick pics <laughs> and dating and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, so things like that. Yeah,
0: amazing. There's such what? an array of things and so many experiences as well.
2: I guess maybe I get easily bored.
1: Yeah, I totally oh, understand yeah. that, <laughs> I one. <get> that
2: one. <laughs> which obviously doesn't help if you've got an addictive personality. No, well, either.
1: that is exactly what we're here today <laughs> to talk about. No, indeed,
0: indeed. <laughs> and, and and you mentioned the many layers of different types of addiction, so we're really going to delve into that today as well. Yeah. So,
1: so when we had a chat um, at the beginning of when we were talking about you coming on this podcast, we were talking about the book that you're writing, which um, as you've just kind of given a little bit of an insight into, is the. Prequel
3: uh,
1: to sequel, second it's the book. sequel to the prequel yeah. <laughs> yeah. that um, that you've written, um, which is called "Losing My Addictions." So tell us, tell us about that book. What what does what's the story behind that?
2: Well, basically, I, I looked at the the help that was out there for for addictions, and none of it really spoke to me. Like like the twelve steps definitely didn't speak to me. Um, this idea of giving everything up to a higher power just wasn't me. It's like you know what I I, can, I I'm only going to beat this by taking responsibility for it, not by sort of. I mean, for me, it's a bit like the secret. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to wish for things, stick them on my mood board, and then the universe is going to give them to me. Mm. It's like, no, you actually need to do the work as well. Mm-hmm. So, so that that didn't really speak to me. So it was it was all about finding my own path through through addictions and. And the, as as we've already touched on, addictions take so many different forms, whether it's... I mean, obviously, the, the, the one that people always think about is drugs, but, but you've also got alcohol, you've got sex, you've got work, you've got chocolate, you've got dodgy relationships. And gambling. Gambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gambling's mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. bad one at the moment. And mm-hmm. and having worked in football, I, I have a real issue mm-hmm. with, with the amount of gambling sponsorship within yes. the game. it's huge as uh, Yeah. And... And... Um, so for me it was about sort of working out how I could navigate this because I also didn't believe in the idea that addiction was a disease. Mm. For for me uh, addiction wasn't wasn't the problem. Addiction is a symptom of something else that's wrong. And uh, and so much of the treatment out there both for addictions and and for for a lot of diseases as well Mm. just look at the symptoms and it's like right you've got a headache here's an aspirin it's like well no let's work out why this problem is happening especially when an addiction is based on, on emotional dependency and things like that it's like let's work out what the problem is and for me it was about drilling down into my life and going why am I doing this not what am I doing? It's more important the why, and and, w- and working out why I keep doing this. So, so for me, that that was why I wrote the book, and and in the same way that w- when I wrote my first book, not today, how I chose life, which was about m- my journey and and mental health, it was really going well. I need a self help book. You know, what? I'm going to write one for myself, and then hopefully it will help other people as well. So.
0: Perfect. I'd really like Sophie to pick out a quote from your book. Um, So I'll read it out to you. Um, I know that one day I'll succumb to my addictions because I don't know how to stop feeling this way, but it won't be today. In the meantime, I'm going to do the best I can to enjoy every single day. And then on the day that I die, in many, many years' time, I'll look back and realise that I didn't get around to doing it. Now, I'd love for you to talk to us about the not-today philosophy.
2: Well, the not to philosophy originally sprang from my first book, Not Today, How I Chose Life, because the original version of the not Today philosophy was, I know that one day I might take my own life, but it won't be today. And in the meantime, I'm going to do the best that I can to enjoy every single day. And then the day that I die, in many, many years' time, I'll look back and realise that I didn't get around to doing it. Now, what that did was, with my mental health, the first thing that it did was say to me, You know what it's not your fault that you feel this way it's not your fault that you feel suicidal it's not your fault that you have an addiction and the thing is as soon as I stopped blaming myself I could stop attaching the guilt and shame to it because it was always the guilt and shame that caused the spiral Mm -hmm. with my mental health I would start feeling down and start feeling suicidal then I guilt guilt and shame on top of that and next thing you know I'd be in the pit of despair and, and then you've got to try and climb your way out. And the same with addiction. And the thing is, as soon as I took guilt and shame out of the equation, I could stop thinking about these things emotionally and start thinking about them logically. Mm. Now, with, with, with my suicidal ideation, logically I knew that I was never going to do it because the first thing is that I knew that suicide wasn't the end of pain. All it did was take your pain and give it to someone else. And I can't do that to my kids. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I knew that the feeling would pass because it always does. Mm. I first tried to take my life when I was 12 years old. Mm. I'm now 26. And that's that's 40-odd years <laughs> yeah. of it being... Uh, what, what <laughs> Maths I de- again. I ring. know, yeah. Maths is brilliant. <laughs> um, that's 40-odd years of being what I describe as a functioning suicidal person.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: now when i applied that to addiction what it did was first off again it allowed me to stop feeling guilty and shameful about it but it also uh, allowed me to to say you know what this is part of me this is part of me I, i i don't have control over when i feel it but i do have control about how i react to it yeah So, and the thing is, then what it allowed me to do was to, again, move on from the guilt and shame. And the problem was that sort of every time I would have a lapse or a relapse, I would then feel guilty and shameful about it. Whereas what I started doing then was going, okay, this is a learning experience. What did I do that I can do differently next time? Why did that happen? And as soon as I allowed myself to go every relapse is a learning experience so that i can find out what triggered it and and put, add that to my list of things to avoid basically yeah um and i mean and that got that went as far as like some TV shows and some films I had to stop watching because certain behaviors were, would be on them and i'd look at them and go Oh yeah! That looks like fun. Oh yeah! <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and basically, it was just using the same tools that I, I'd found to help me with my mental health to help me with, with with the addictions that I was struggling with.
1: I I totally I totally resonate and love what you've just said there because I think it's really important for people who are listening, at whatever journey or, or part of their journey they're on, to understand that addiction and mental health are not linear. It's not like a, this is where, you know, it's not even really like there's this destination and it's called sobriety and it has to look like this. Like it's completely different for every single person. And the process is, for me anyway, has really been about a, a journey of self-discovery, a journey of coming back to myself um, in whatever way that, that looks like. And, and I think that there's so much similarity between the first book around coming back to your understanding of yourself and creating the tools of self-awareness that then are applied into your experience with addiction. And, I, yeah, I just think that's really a powerful message for anyone, wherever they are in, in their journey.
2: I, I think self-awareness is such a powerful tool. And so many of us, I mean, you, you, you look around the streets, you, you look around the people you know, so many people in our society at the moment have a total lack of self-awareness. Uh, and and you you see it in in the things that they they ignore going on around them. You see it in in the decisions they make about their lives and about the lives of others. Uh, and you see it in in their consumption of of things that are just there to to, to numb the experience of living, whether that's w- watching garbage on TV or w- whether it's going down the pub and drinking fifteen pints. Mm. all of these things just numb your connection to the world and that self-awareness and coming back to it and and just realizing that there's this amazing world around you is is a massive part of that recovery process
1: yeah a hundred percent they talk a lot in in early recovery
0: about the pink fluffy cloud Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. No. So uh, you come into your first sort of year of recovery, and at the beginning, everyone tells you it gets better. It gets better. You know, you wait. The best is yet to come, and all of this. So you're waiting for this amazing kind of day when you're free from feeling ill, sick, tired, and and just rotten from withdrawal. Is is, is, you know, if you've experienced that, it's horrific. So you're waiting for this pink fluffy cloud and you think, what on earth is this thing? Where is this thing? Where is this destination? And I think you can get so focused on that destination that you forget to enjoy the little bits each day. And for me, it was the gratitude of each day um, at being able to drink coffee again, which I couldn't do for years, <laughs> going out into the sunshine and not having my curtains drawn all day, you know, and feeling like I could go out in the world and be somebody. So I realised the pink fluffy cloud had already began You know, from day one, so that it's not about the destination; it's about the journey, and I think
2: that's the thing. Is that's so true about everything in life? Mm -hmm. Because there are no destinations in any part of our lives. No, Uh, uh, everything about our lives is a journey, Mm. Uh, especially if you're trans, because trans actually means. Being on a journey, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so for me, it's like I, I must admit the idea of this pink fluffy cat cloud. If if you got mm. a sugar addiction and and it's candy floss, it's is not a terribly positive. <laughs> <thing to live. laughs> it's a bit but, icky, but, isn't it? But let's face it: how many people spend their time just looking forward to, to this this arbitrary point in the future where X will happen, mm. and they just don't see what's going on? I mean. For me, it's really important to remember that, that joy and pleasure doesn't happen in the past.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's just a memory. It doesn't happen in the future. That's just a dream. The only place that joy and pleasure happen is in the moment. Mm. That, everything, everything else is just, just abstract. Yeah. The only moment that is ever real in our lives is this exact moment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the moment that we have to live. We can't live for the future or the past. It
0: reminds me of a quote that someone said to me again in really early recovery. Everything seeps into your brain in early recovery. But It was if you've got one foot in the past, one foot in the present, and you're pissing all over today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I
2: like that one.
1: There we go. You can have that one. <laughs> yeah. Sophie take it with you on your I, journey, w- I will. That's <laughs> I, 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 I
2: might add that to my collection of inspirational tattoos. Oh, <laughs> you can have a lot
1: uh, of we tattoos. We were talking that, about that earlier, yeah, weren't we? Which they one's all means your recovery tattoos. Oh yeah. All mark, of them.
0: <laughs> you yeah. mark the occasions with something big, so that you have a milestone to kind yeah. of yeah, to exactly, look on yeah. and be proud of. Mm. It's on your body for life, and it means something well, for life. Well, the
2: it? interesting for me is that oh. All of my tattoos mean something. They all come from a different part of my life. When I transitioned, various people said, oh, you're going to cover that up? Or <laughs> it's like, no, that was part of my life. Yeah. yeah. And um, and the thing is, before my, my transition, all of my tattoos could be covered by a short sleeve shirt. Um, whereas now, like, my forearms are covered. And all the ones that are on my forearms that face me are notes to myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like my, my left wrist has Not Today tattooed on it. it. Because awesome. that, that's the reminder that today isn't the day that I die. My left wrist has got live clean written on it.
1: Yeah. And my
2: semicolon and a couple of quotes. I mean, I've got one which is from, um, it's its in Latin. It's a quote from Ovid, uh, which seems very highbrow, <laughs> but, but I You saw, are a doctor of letters. I, I am a doctor also, of hey? letters, don't you know? <laughs> well, it is next to my tattoo of the, the coat of arms of Bournemouth University <laughs> that I went to for a whole two hours to pick up my doctorate. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but this quote from o- Ovid it seems very highbrow. But I actually saw it painted on the wall in an episode of Walking Dead, and they paused on it. And you know when they pause on something that it's important. Mm-hmm. So I googled it, and it means be strong and patient. Someday this pain will be useful to you.
1: Oh, Oh, that's what I'm 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 going to take, uh call an aha moment. I'm taking that one with me. And and
2: the thing is, because it's it's the pain that happens Mm. in our lives that forges us. We're we're, we're forged in fire. None of us are are made by by the fluffy clouds of our (laughs) lives. None of us become amazing, inspirational people by being born with a silver spoon in our mouth Mm. and, and having everyone be a total sycophant for our entire lives. We are forged in fire and we become the people that we are through adversity and through all the hardships that we have to face. Mm, mm. And the harder your life, the more more opportunity you've got to, to be amazing. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I see every one of my difficulties throughout my life as an opportunity to build myself and, and grow. Mm.
0: The adversity is what connects so many of us now because I think we can all – cross-reference our emotions through whether it's you know a a change in in transgender change it's it's a change in uh, addictions and all the recovery you've got to do that or from cancer or from any kind of past trauma um i think we can all connect on the emotional recovery which is what i try and implement at, at the horizon film school is is we can all connect we are not just in these segregated groups, and we should connect and share these stories because that's where we go. Do you know what? I feel what you're saying, Sophie. I've I've got something similar. Let me share that with you. Yeah. And I think those sharings of stories is that a word? Sharings.
1: The sharing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It. It's what heals us. Yeah. Does. yeah it is. Yeah. yeah.
2: Because let's face it we we are we are social beings, mm. and this is one of the things that we've really struggled with over the last couple of years with COVID. Yeah. And all the lockdowns. It. I mean. When I first got to do my first talk in front of a live audience, uh, after after COVID, it was actually a big public school in Sussex, and um, I walked. First off, I walked on stage and did my my Zoom joke. I walked on stage, started talking into the microphone uh, without any sound coming out, and then I went, "Oh, sorry, my mute." (laughs) Um, But but I I asked the students what they'd missed most from the last two years, Mm. and. You could tell it was a posh school because one of the boys put his hand up and went, Restaurants! Oh.
3: Uh, oh.
2: And and, and then, then one of the girls put her hand up and she said, Friends. Oh. And I turned around to the guy and I said, There are no right or wrong answers, mm. but she got the right one. Mm. It's like, b- because let's face it, that's what we all realise. Everything mm. that we thought was permanent in our lives, mm. everything that was just sure and solid and constant, just totally went out the window. Mm. It's like you're not going to be able to see your family. You're not going to be able to go to work. You're not going to be able to do all these things. And our generation hasn't been through something like that before. For us, it was it was like like taking everything solid and constant in the world and just ripping it apart and going, mm. right. What are you going to do with that?
1: Yeah. Actually, and I'm going to go completely off script here, and and because what you've said do is do that do she, do do oh do my god. <laughs> um, so we're going down COVID lane because actually, COVID has created a, a, an epidemic in and of itself, a mental health and an addiction epidemic in and of itself that really doesn't seem to be being addressed in the way that it needs to be being addressed what are your thoughts on that like there's been a huge rise in specifically alcohol um abuse since the beginning of the
2: pandemic well the thing is it's both the mental health impact and and the addiction impact hasn't been addressed at all by anyone in, in any position of authority um let's face it they they barely addressed the issues that were slap bang in their face mm. so i i think it's it's really important that as we come back together as a community that we actually recognise that, that there are some of us that are struggling. Hmm. Um, because, I mean, alcohol is, is a good one because it amazes me how alcohol, which is one of the most devastating um, mainstream addictions that it, definitely people in this country have, Um how it is not only socially acceptable but in some circles expected yeah uh i mean being lgbt it's sort of it's (laughs) the only socializing spaces were bars yeah uh and and you you go to a business event and there's free alcohol and like the (laughs) non-alcoholic choices are sort of Tucked away in a corner, and you have to go and beg for them. Milk.
3: Yeah, Yeah. offered milk once.
2: But it's it's the idea that sort of alcohol is just so totally acceptable. Yeah. Uh, And and I think that we need to move away from that uh, as a society because because it's it's done so much damage over the years, and it continues to.
0: And can I interject there and say that, you know, because we've all been... It's sort- your
2: show. You can do whatever well, you want. Well, thanks, darling. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I shall. Um, well, you know, we've all been isolated very much during the, the pandemic. And this isolation is the is the is almost the downfall of, of, of addicts. We we need to stay connected to stay well. So I think with this whole isolation thing, we are now, or the, the, the nation, we'll call us us, the nation, are drinking more at home isolated so we haven't got that social pressure so what happened what do you think that causes
2: the thing is and and that's a really interesting question because for me when i was drinking one of the things that i always said to myself was well at least i don't drink alone at home
1: yeah same oh that's all i ever did yeah Mm. and
2: and the thing is it's so so we've crossed the line there Mm. i mean this really is it's like the number of people that would have never drunk at home alone now we're forced into it. Mm. Well, not exactly. It's not like someone twisted their arm and went, "You will drink a bottle of scotch tonight." But <laughs> but the thing is, they they couldn't go to the pub anymore. Yeah. So so mm. and and boredom and all the rest of it and and concerns and mental health issues and everything else. And next thing you know, it's like it just becomes a habit of drinking alone at home. Again, yeah. And and that's going to have a lasting impact that we're probably not going to see. The true extent of uh, for a number of years, yeah. Well,
0: perhaps because it's become quite habitual to yeah. To the end of the day and you don't even need to drive home now. You shut your laptop and yeah. you can pop that bottle open and, yeah. and chug away. And let's and, face um,
2: it, having a couple of glasses of wine, which becomes a bottle, yep. which becomes two bottles of an evening, is totally socially acceptable.
1: It is. It is. And that's what I've always thought was amazing about it. It is until it's not... It's like exactly, you, yeah. your pre- the pressure to drink and and be like we'll just have one. Why you know like this kind of idea that you know you you're a social pariah if you don't drink. But then as soon as you go into a stage of addiction to an addictive substance that is addictive, the very first time that you take a sip of it, you're then outcast. It's like there's no there's it's the, it swings from one extreme to yeah. the other. Yeah. Um, and I found that really, really bizarre, this like need to justify a choice of not imbibing a toxic, addictive substance.
2: And the, the th- thing is, you also get the, the situation now where if you go to, say, a, a, a function or, or a business event or, or an awards ceremony or something and you're not drinking, mm-hmm. then people assume it's because you've got a drink problem. Because oh, you're pregnant, <laughs> yeah, or well, because you're pre- well, no, I'm first I, and foremost. Uh, <coughs> I'm, I, I'm, I must admit, pregnant. I, I may look pregnant, but but actually, uh, producing child within my own body is one of the things that I still can't do being trans. And and I'd like to keep it that way because that just gives the turf something to sort of re- really latch onto. It's like <laughs> mum's neck, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't menstruate either, just, just for the just, 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 to, the just to keep oh, them just happy not about that one. Much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what? That's that's what I've been told, and it's like, yeah, apparently it's that makes day. you a woman unless you it you're not doing it. In which case, it doesn't make. Yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm not going to go down that. <laughs> that's a whole avenue. N- true, of, yeah. there's yeah. many women that
1: don't. That don't yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, you know. and yeah. And but yeah, there is that. There is that. Uh, there is that sort of. Ex- I think a lot of people make assumptions. I think that's mm. one of the biggest things that my experience of being of being sober has been just assumption central. Like, and, and people putting their projections, their stories, their history, their fear of their own yeah. use of whatever substance onto you. <laughs> it's mm. like, I'm just trying to like drink my sparkling water and have like <laughs> a nice time. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about whatever you choose yeah. to do with your time.
2: Yeah. I- I am not stood here with my sparkling water judging you. That's what you're doing, standing there with your glass of wine, looking at me.
1: Yeah, and I'm also absolutely (laughs) fine and having a nice time. There's also that expectation that, oh, like, how do you have fun?
0: Yeah, well, did you know, all, all through my years of drinking, I had a dream. And my dream was that one day I could be at a party, any party, and I could have a glass of orange juice in my hand. And just be really content with that orange juice, sipping away, being just like mellow and happy, not wanting anything else. I dreamt of that day. And, you know, you get to that day where I am so, so super happy with an orange juice, preferably, you know, with a bit of ice and a bit of slice. <laughs> well, um, but, you tarty, know, orange tarty orange Tarty yeah. <laughs> orange juice. But, you know, and people sort of, you know, they go, would you like, you know, why 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 not? Why not? Can you not just have one? Even on your birthday, can you not just have one? Well, no, because I used to dream of this moment. Now I'm here. No I don't want a cheeky one because mm. it's my birthday or because it's Sunday or because it's <laughs> Well
1: you wouldn't say just have one line of coke, would you? You <laughs> wouldn't just be like just a just a cheeky no. one. Yeah. Come on, cheeky it's one. what it's like it's past lunchtime. Yeah. You just a cheeky yeah. line. Well, mm. it
2: depends what industry you're working. <laughs> yeah. Um but the thing is like it's and it's it's really true, isn't it? Cuz thing is with, with me with with booze, it's like now like if if I did have a cheeky one, it, it wouldn't cause me any major problems. It's, but I wouldn't enjoy it. Uh, I mean, and that's one of the things. It's like, I mean, the thing is, like, I I grew, I grew up in a generation where booze tasted horrible. Um, we we didn't have alcohol pops and things like that. We all our booze back when I was growing up in the seventies tasted disgusting, and basically, it was an effort of will to drink it. And you know, I will drink it because it makes me look big and clever. Uh, where where and then they just made drinks so sweet and sort of it's like turned them into alco pops and all the rest of it. But but the thing is like an interesting thing for me was especially when I stopped drinking spirits was was the way I can't even look at them now without feeling ill. Um, just the thought of drinking a, a, a strong spirit would just like yeah I I, f- I feel ill now just thinking about it. So 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 yeah, it's the the idea of like oh just go on, watch this one for your birthday. Yeah, mm.
1: there's a there's a lot of we sp- you spoke about it earlier on, but there's a lot of guilt and shame attached to addiction generally, and I think specifically it seems with alcohol because it is so societally acceptable, and as a British person, it's almost like what do you mean you can't drink? Like, oh, there's something wrong with you because you can't drink. Mm. And it's that kind of, I've I've definitely experienced this and I have, I've heard a lot of people who have too, of this sort of feeling of like, you should have been better at drinking. Like, you should have been a better <laughs> British person and be able to handle the drinking better. Like, mm, you know, you spoke about really like letting go of guilt and shame. And I'd really just be interested to hear like, how have how have you moved through that
2: yeah this idea that yeah you should be able to sort of um handle it uh yeah it's like well i i drink and i haven't got a problem it's like yeah well the thing is i don't think that we have problems with addictions because of the substances that we use i think we have problems with addiction because of because of the way our brains are wired and because of trauma that we've we've suffered at various points in our lives Mm. because i i think that the the mental health background to addiction is sorely underestimated in so much addiction treatment um i mean if if you struggle with 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 one kind of addiction you, you will struggle with others i mean we we see this cross addiction and that is that's not because of the substance. That's because of, of the way we're wired, and because of the reasons that we became addicted in the first place. Mm. If if you became addicted to something because you were trying to quiet the voices, because you were trying to like drown the pain, because you were trying to just stop feeling things, then then that's not that wouldn't change if you if you change change the substance. Yeah. Uh, and and the thing is, someone that goes well, you should have been better at drinking. It's like, Hmm. you know what? Actually, maybe maybe we're not all the same. Maybe we are different. Maybe you shouldn't try guilting me because, like, you know what? Actually, because of all the crap I've been through in my life, this is where I ended up. And
1: interestingly with that, when I look back on my own experiences, it was all to do with trying to fit in because I felt different my whole life. And as soon as somebody gave me an access to being accepted and to feel like I belonged within the group, which was drinking and drugs, at at like 14 was when I first had exposure to that, I was like, yeah, like it wasn't even necessarily about escapism, it was more about belonging somewhere. And whatever it might be, it's like, if for me personally when someone says, well, why can't you just have one? You just need to be better at moderation. Yeah. It triggers so much more in me because it again feels that I'm being rejected mm. here. Which then my brain goes, Oh just yeah. have one then, because then yeah. that person will accept you. Mm.
2: But but the thing is that there where it's about acceptance, it's the, the 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 trauma that you're trying to escape from is the trauma of not fitting in, it's the trauma mm. of being rejected. Yeah. Um and and let's face it, when we're growing up, the, the fear of rejection is such a massive thing for yeah. us.
3: <laughs> um,
2: especially if, if we haven't found found out who we are yet. Because let's face it, at that point, you're still learning who you are, still learning what your place is in the world. And if you're constantly rejected, I mean, like, for me, being, being trans and growing up, being trans and growing up and joining the Royal Air Force at for 16, mm-hmm. it's like the there's there's degrees of fitting in that you can and can't do and I was always going to be an outsider and the interesting thing for me was after after my transition in 2015 I actually went to an RAF reunion and met some of the guys that I was in the air force with some of them for the first time in 30 years and first thing is obviously none of them had any idea that I was trans but secondly, none of them had any idea that during the entire time that we were together in Germany for three years in the mid-80s, I was self-harming regularly. Yeah. And none of them had a clue that that was even happening. Mm. So the thing is, we all do what we, we can to sort of fit in. And yet we all sort of have have these secret trauma that other people don't even know about and that, that we're trying to deal with. Uh, and we try and deal with it. In mainly negative, uh, unhelpful ways, and that for me, that's what most addictions are. Most addictions grow out of trying to handle. Uh, I mean, in, in the book, I describe us as being holy souls, not holy as in church, but holy as in our souls are full of holes, mm, yeah. and those holes were caused by trauma, pain, rejection, and what we're trying to do is plug the holes in our soul mm. uh and normally to plug those holes we we use things that are, are really negative and unhelpful like mm. like like drugs alcohol sex relationships things like that and in in our efforts to plug those holes quite often we, we rip them further apart and and yeah, yeah.
0: You mentioned a lot about sort of the way you, you the language and obviously you've you've written books, you're great with words, you've got a lot of words I'm a doctor around. of letters. You're a doctor yes, of letters are. as well. Let's forget. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you think we can be more empowered or empower others through the the language that we use when we speak about addiction? Do you think there should be a change in the words that we use?
2: I, I think that I mean this this idea that someone is an addict. No mm. no one is an addict. Mm. That 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 defines them that is a label that is uh, someone may struggle with an addiction mm-hmm. but it doesn't define them no matter how much it's taken over their life yeah um and i think the idea of of labeling people as an addict because you label someone as an addict and it's like well that that's them labeled for life that that doesn't imply that there's a difference does <laughs> yeah, it yeah. um whereas I think that sort of if if someone's dealing with an addiction dealing with it badly dealing with it well um it's it for me it's similar to to the language that's used around mental health and I keep coming back to this right. it's like this this idea that that i the only people with mental health are people who with poor mental health. Well, we all have mental health. Mm-hmm. Some of mm-hmm. us have good mental health. Some mm-hmm. of us have poor mental health. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we we all have elements uh, of that addictive personality within us. Some some of us can can use these substances and have no issues whatsoever. And others of us can use it once and and then be in a world mm-hmm. of hurt afterwards. So I think that we we need to. Take away a lot of lot of the shaming, a lot of the the finger pointing, uh, and and actually appreciate that there's a reason why people end up in this position. Yeah, yeah. it's like when people look at homeless people and go, "Ah, oh, but they've still got money for drugs." It's like, we'll tell totally, you, you try living on the streets and and uh, without sort of having something to numb numb no, the pain of that it. experience. Do you know? What? I've
0: I've lived on the streets, Sophie, myself for for many years um, before getting into recovery, and. Um, There's that sense of worthlessness, of course. But you've got to get through each day. Each day is a survival. But I must say that I was more sober on the streets than I ever was when I was put into hostel or emergency accommodation because there I could lounge around all day. On the street, I had to keep moving. I had to keep warm. I yeah. had to mm. keep begging. I had to keep, you know, my awares about me a little bit. I couldn't be blotto on the streets. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Mm. But, you know, people get annoyed with people who are out there begging and then they go back to their hostels and use it and abuse. Like like it's some joyful yeah. choice. Yeah, that's, yeah. These are people who are trapped. It's not a joyful yeah. choice to go... Great! I've got two quid. I'm going to go and get this bag of stuff, and that's their release yeah. from their day. You know, have some compassion, perhaps. Yes. You know, and do you think do you think that the way that we look at addicts and homeless and and and, and transgender and all their self harmers do you think the way that we look at everyone is just so negative in our I, own minds? I think
2: that we we as a society look at people and and. Decide that everyone is to blame for everything that's wrong with their lives. Yes, it's like, your fault, it, not mine. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's it. It's not not society's problem. It's not the system that's failing. It's it's not that sort of people can't get jobs. It's not mm-hmm. that people can't afford to to once they've got a job to to find somewhere to live in in a city like Brighton, where where we we have one of the highest levels of rent poverty in the yes. country. Absolutely it's always got to be someone's fault. Well, it's like you obviously aren't working hard enough. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, if yeah. you made better choice, if you gave up having yeah. your lattes and your Netflix, <laughs> you could buy a house.
3: Maybe you could
0: too, yeah. but it's that finger oh, of blame, yeah. isn't it? There's that finger of blame. That if you point it at someone, you've got all these fingers pointing back. And someone used to say to me, you got... One pointing at the problem, one pointing back at the bigger problem, and then you've got one pointing, and this is my thumb pointing up into the air, you've got one pointing at the solution, and people believing you know, in their recovery that we have a higher power. We have something that is bigger than ourselves, and I'm a believer of that. How do you feel the higher power sits with your, your story, your, your recovery, your mental health?
2: Um I I sort of identify as sort of somewhere along the Buddhist lines. Okay, yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I, I believe that, that the higher power is within us. I I mean the the Buddha and enlightenment are within us all. Uh, mm. and you've just got to find it. And for me that's where self awareness comes yeah. in. I think I think the the journey to um to to nirvana, the journey to, to actual um Escape from all the pains that we have in this world is self-awareness and, and looking at yourself and finding out why why you struggle with these things. Mm. So for me, the higher power is is within us, and we have to find it. M- many years ago, I, I spent a weekend with Tony Robbins, and Ooh, one, wow. of, what, yeah, one, the, me, me and five thousand others. Um, oh, <laughs> like, yes, I love yes. that man. cinema yeah. yeah, It's but but the thing is, what, one of the things that. In fact, the thing from that weekend that has stuck with me for, for my whole life mm-hmm. is this concept that everything I need is within me now. Yes, yes, it is. All the strength that I need is within me. All the knowledge that I need is within me. All the bravery that I need is within me. Yeah. I've just got to find it. Yeah. I, and for me, that, that that's it. It's like dig deep and you will find that power.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's again, comes back to the language that we were talking about earlier. And I read yesterday about um, it being about atonement. So it's not like constantly being like, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I need forgiveness, I'm terrible. It's about atonement. And and then going, actually, I'm, I'm flawed, of course, I'm human, mm. and I'm perfect in my flawed humanness. Yeah. And when we can do that about ourselves, we can then extend that to others. And what a joyful place that is when we can really understand that in one another.
0: But also, are they flaws? Should we be calling them flaws? Aren't they just differences? Yeah. A difference yeah. to you, a difference well, to me? That's not a flaw. Yeah. I don't maybe, see a Or f- maybe we flaw. can
1: call them, and I, I like, I'm going to borrow this from what you were saying earlier, Sophie, is unhelpful, there will be unhelpful behaviours. So mm. There we go. Like, one of the things that I notice in myself sometimes is that I can be a bit of a gossipy bitch. And, and oh. I actually... I'm actually a really compassionate person. I and don't want to know what you're going to say about me after like- I leave, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but but like, but I I can find that re- that my that voice yeah. in my head, and then I and I go, okay, what is it that you're actually judging about yourself right now?
0: Oh, like that. Yeah, that
1: because and I, when I'm really when I really strip it back and I get really honest with myself. There's something out of integrity in the way that I'm living my life, that I'm just projecting left, right and center and just finding any opportunity I can to get like a, a, a cheap mm. dopamine hit by slagging someone off. And it's like, that's yeah. not helpful. Mm. That's not who I really truly am. That's just a behavior that comes out because of something, insecurity, that's coming out inside me. And I think, I think that when we understand that we all have that capacity within us, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. It's quite normal. <laughs> But to be just aware of that, like that self-awareness and self-compassion, we yeah. can then extend that to others.
2: And I, I, I think when when we talk about atonement, the f- first person that we we need forgiveness from, obviously, is ourselves. Yeah. And um, and the thing is, in in my first book, I, I wrote a poem about how basically I wanted to say sorry to my body, to myself, to to my soul for all of the things that I'd done to it. All the times I tried to poison it, all the times I tried to hurt it, all the times I tried to kill it, uh, and ju- just coming to terms with that. But I, I think that sort of so. Like I told you about the, the tattoo on my left arm. I'm going to tell you about my right arm. Now. Uh, this, this this is uh, may I never be complete, may I never be content, mm. may I never be perfect.
1: I love it.
2: And the thing is, th- that that's actually a quote from um, from Fight Club. <laughs> uh, which, if you, if you've thought. never read the book, Fight Club is an amazing work of nihilistic philosophy. Yeah, and right. the way I see it is, uh, I don't want to be complete because if if I am, I've stopped growing.
0: That's a destination, isn't yeah.
2: it? Yeah, I don't want to be content because if you be- if you're content, you become lazy, and I don't want to be perfect because no one's perfect, and if they say they are, they're just lying. Yeah, we, we- we've all got these imperfections within us, uh, which make us. Unique and amazing and wonderful, and yeah. it's about looking in the mirror and going, "Yeah, I, I love my imperfections. Yeah, I'm perfect and
0: it's exactly why you're here today, is because of
2: because I'm perfectly imperfect. imperfect. Yes, you yeah. are, and this is yeah.
1: why we were so glad that you've that you've come in today. So we're going to, we're almost at our rapid fire question round. Uh, up?
3: Um,
1: <laughs> um One of the things that I just find so inspiring um being in your presence, Sophie, is that you've got so much wisdom and compassion. Because I'm authors. really old. <laughs> um and but you're only 26 yeah. um, so <laughs> bless what, you my child. what what more can we do as a society to support people with who are who are dealing with um addiction
2: i what, one of, one of the mantras that I use in all of my work um whether it's work around equalities whether it's work around mental health whether it's work around addiction is is two simple words. Uh, and the thing is, with these two simple words, we we don't need EDI manuals. We don't need uh, guidebooks as to how to deal with trans people. We don't need religions telling us how, how to deal with certain parts of life. With these two words, we, we can fix the world if only the entire world started living by these two words. And they are respect everyone. Oh, if we respected that. everyone, then... Then the world would all of a sudden we, we we don't need any of those other things. I mean, when I was young and I was in the Air Force, I was told that I should respect officers because they're the Queen's Commission. And being young and stupid, I thought, well, no, they have mm. to earn my respect. Mm. Now that I'm old and stupid, <laughs> I know that nobody needs to earn my respect. Everyone gets my respect as a given. That is that is yeah. that's my baseline. Yes, you get yeah. my respect from, from the first moment I meet you. You can lose it really quickly. Yeah. And some people seem to be in a race to see how quickly they can <laughs> lose. it. do really well. But, but they had it until they opened their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Basically something. But, but that's it. If we respected everyone, then, yeah. then a lot of these problems just sort of – because it, for me, being human is all about empathy. Empathy mm. is the the greatest value and the greatest strength that any of us can have mm. and it's what sets us apart from the the rest rest of creation we we need to have empathy for for the people around us for the planet around us and and then then we're actually going to start, start mm. to see an improvement on things
0: yeah. and in a world where you can be anything be kind it's exactly yeah beautiful thing to just unless you
2: can be a unicorn then be a unicorn
0: <laughs> I am one of those too. Only on a Friday.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm I'm a unicorn on Thursday. So. Oh,
0: yeah. handing the baton o- over there on a Friday. Gotcha. I I'll fly the flag um, on a Friday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lovely,
2: <laughs> I right. love that.
1: Oh. Rapid fire. Rapid oh. fire. Rapid fire. Um, okay. So, are you ready?
2: So, how rapid is this fire?
1: Uh, it's it's pretty damn rapid. Just been,
2: like easy, rapid or sort First of...
1: thing that
0: comes to your mind? Uh. One word if possible. Bing bang bong, bosh. Yes.
2: Yeah. Caterpillars.
1: <laughs> you have oh, a question. Yet.
2: Yet. Oh,
0: sorry.
1: Hold your horses. <laughs> sorry. Hold your unicorns. <coughs> so, Sophie, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Uh oh, (laughs) caterpillars. (laughs) (laughs) Caterpillars.
2: Free time. What's that? Um, (laughs) you know what? The my greatest pleasure in my free time is spending time with my 21 year old son who's got epilepsy and learning difficulties. He's he's uh, he's obsessed with cars Mm. and motorbikes and things. We go off to to motor racing and museums and things. And I take him to a lot of football matches. And yeah, he's my best mate in the whole world. And yeah, that that's my greatest joy in life
1: beautiful that's beautiful what's one piece of advice you would give someone who's dealing with addiction at the moment
2: i think the piece of advice to anyone that's dealing with addiction is it doesn't define you don't let anyone tell you that it does uh you are still you you are still wonderful you're just in in a dark place you might be lost you've just got to find your way back and and there are people out there who can help you
1: Amazing. Finish this sentence. Addiction is
2: a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs>
1: recovery is life. Love it. Oh yes, oh, like that's that gorgeous. What more can we do to raise awareness and also destigmatize the conversation around mental health and addiction?
2: Do more, more like this. I, I think that. We need to stop looking at addiction as a failure of the individual and look at it as a failure of society. Um, pe- people aren't. A- if if we lived in a utopia, there would be no addicts, but we don't. We live in a dystopia, uh, and there are so many things that people have to deal with in everyday life that cause them to go to this dark place. And and if we made society better, we would make people better.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, how can we better support people in the sober community?
2: First thing we need to actually have a sober community. We mm. need to have places where people can go. We mm. need to have coffee shops that stay open late, yeah. like, like you have on the continent. We, mm. we don't have that cafe culture in this country. Um, we need to not have a, a national social life that revolves around alcohol um we we need to just give people options and at the moment the options are go and partake or mm. or be the sad lonely person in the corner everyone looks at like and goes yeah. oh what's wrong with them why aren't they drinking
0: do you know just very quickly there was people who tried doing the dry bars you know with all the all the juices and things late into the night but they didn't make enough money yeah that's all i say yeah. they, they didn't do them that's, that's it that's and why th- they don't
2: exist that's the mm. problem isn't it it's
1: all about profits all about yeah. money Mm. And
2: yeah, and it always will be in this society, yeah, because that's the way it runs. And also,
1: no one goes to a juice bar and drinks ten pints of juice. You could. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not going to happen. If you, as, you are, uh,
2: please, please make sure you have more than one lavatory.
1: Messy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And finally, what do you wish you would known at the beginning of your sober journey that you know now?
2: Not to trust Dodgy Pete. Dodgy Pete. Dodgy Pete. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't trust Dodgy Pete. He it will say tell you things and like it won't. Yeah, yeah. Don't Is trust. It's the him.
0: clue not in his name. Dodgy
1: Pete. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought oh. we were, I thought Dodgy Pete was super trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, just be careful of what, what they're called first. And
2: first impressions. Yeah. <laughs> first impressions. Oh, dear But. Oh, dear Honest dog, Pete. Dodgy Pete, different guy. <laughs> Hon- honi- you know what? Hon- Honest Pete's great, isn't he Just you know, what? I'd I buy a car guy. off him. <laughs> dodgy Pete, though. It's like, oof. There, yeah, there. yeah. But so apart he- from that, I'd say um, just be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself mm. because until you can actually, <laughs> it, it's it's a cliche, and it's something my ex-wife always used to say to me. And it really annoyed me when she said it to me. It's like you can't love someone else until you love yourself. And I think that it's really important that that we actually learn to love ourselves and and be kind to ourselves because so many of us think that we're compassionate people and we wouldn't do terrible things to other people. And yet we'll consistently do them to ourselves and we'll consistently say horrible things to ourselves and hurt ourselves and poison ourselves. So, yeah. Be kind to yourself and don't trust Dodgy Pete. Don't
0: trust Dodgy Pete. <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much. Thank I feel like I've so learned so much today, and I, I, honestly, thank you for coming in and spending My your time with pleasure. us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh, we'll take some nuggets away from this one, but we want to wish you all the best with your upcoming book and all the many, many other things that you've got going on in your life. You are just a, a, a magical wonder, and um, yeah, look forward to seeing what's next from you. Thank you very <laughs> but much. thanks again, and all the best. Thanks. Thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode this podcast has been brought to you by horizon a non-profit that provides film and media training to people in recovery from addiction to find out more about horizon you can visit our website at www.myhorizon.rocks or follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at horizon brighton